Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Hello and welcome to the show. Sometimes our best ideas and business ideas are born out of necessity. And this is exactly what happened with today's guest, who's Max Azaroff, the founder of NovaKid. NovaKid is a online platform to help children learn English as a second language. It's specifically targeting four through 12 year olds and soon to expand into the teenage audience as well. NovaKid has received over $41.5 million in venture funding and is growing extremely quickly. They're in over 20 countries around the world, and they have over 2,500 staff members and contractors. Max has a real interesting story of building this fully remote company and also helping his child learn English as a second language. In fact, his first hire was his daughter's former English teacher. Enjoy today's episode of The Business of You as you learn more about Max and this amazing company called NovaKid.com. Max, welcome to The Business of You. It's so great to meet with you today. How's how's your day so far? Hi, Rachel. Great to be on your podcast. Uh, the day is uh, awesome. Thank you. Well, you have a very interesting company. I'm really uh, eager to dive in and hear the origins of it. But before we talk about your company, I'd love to hear your backstory and how you got to where you are today. So where did you grow up? What was it like? What inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, I uh, uh, basically grew up uh, definitely very much, let's say, fascinated by computers. So I started programming very early on. I was probably 12 years old is when I started like seriously programming uh one of my first computers um and you know to a large degree i credit it to the fact that my first computer basically just did not have any games on it <laughs> so <laughs> but it did have some, you know a basic programming language uh and basically that that was kind of the only thing i could do with it so uh and it kind of forced me to to really but i i think i really this was interesting to me obviously if i wasn't interested i would not be doing that so yeah, so I started making some simple games, actually. That was mm. one of the first things I started doing uh, on the computer. Then um, I started making some kind of more serious stuff. Uh, like I started helping my dad, actually. He was a, a meteorologist, and they were uh, building some of the uh, uh, like uh, like atmosphere uh, probes that go into up in the atmosphere, and you have to sort of... Um, you know, receive the signal from them and have decoded. So I was actually helping him out to build some algorithms for decoding that. Mm. So, and actually, I was actually earning some money uh, mm. on that, which is, you know, was also quite rewarding. 
for sure. And uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, older colleagues of his that were completely helpless. And I was basically kind of the only, so I was like a kid, basically, you know, still at school. And I was helping these big, you know, big guys to actually solve a real problem. So that was definitely a very big moment for me realizing yeah. that, hey, you know, what I, this is not, not just my hobby, not just my patient, uh, passion, but it's really a useful thing, something that I can really use to uh, make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so, so it kind of um, progressed from there um, and uh, it became my early career. So in my early career, I was a, a software developer. I started from that then kind of gradually transitioned over to uh, uh, product management. I worked at Google as a product manager for several years um, and uh, eventually kind of went on an uh, entrepreneur track. Mm. So th- this is when, um, uh, this is when, you know, so th- this was kind of the transition, right? right. So software engineer, um, then I kind of got curious, not just building things, but actually kind of selling things and right. building things that people needed. Uh, then, and this is how it kind of eventually naturally transitioned over to the entrepreneurial track. Interesting. What products did you work on at Google? So at Google, my actually one of the early products I worked on was Google Maps. Mm. Uh, I was hoping to uh, localize Google Maps in uh, Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, figuring out how to make it work better, how to acquire the, the uh, mapping data, how to acquire. Uh, so, for example, one of the things we, we did, we were launching uh, traffic, uh, traffic jam information oh, yeah. uh, in Eastern Europe, which was, you know, quite quite a new thing back then. Yeah. Now, nowadays, you, you take it for granted. But, you know, back then it was very innovative. Um, so, yeah, th- uh, then I kind of switched over to, uh, I was helping out to optimize Google search for some of the uh, mm-hmm. languages to make mm-hmm. it better. Uh, to make it perform better. And um, uh, I even got to work on one of the kind of older products called uh, Google Directory that was originally managed by Marisa Mayers, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, and yeah, I actually got to meet with her to kind of discuss, mm-hmm. you know, all this uh, handover, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, definitely uh, was quite an interesting time at Google yeah. for sure. Sounds like it. Are you completely self-taught in um, your software development side, or did you also study it at some point? Uh, I would say it's like ninety-nine percent self-taught. So well, I definitely, you. you know, I have a like a, a engineering uh, degree, uh, okay. so master of science and all that. But I never really took like serious like IT classes. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I don't think they even existed back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, it was more about kind of math, uh, more about sort of more formal, uh, like more classical, uh, like science education. And yeah. then, yeah, mostly mostly self-taught in my case. Okay, great. So what led you to start NovaKid? So in terms of NovaKid, it was actually uh, a, really a personal need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, uh, I live with family, basically, as I said, in Eastern Europe and there was, uh, you know, usually we would leave. So n- now it's Turkey, right? So usually countries where English is not widely spoken. Yes. Um, uh, and, uh, I myself, I actually lived throughout my career. I lived in the U S for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so for me, English basically is second, uh, second language, uh, second, uh, native language. You could, yes. You could call it that. Um, and, you know, and 
I wanted my kids to to have that as well. Mm-hmm. And this was the need, right? How do I make them, you know, fluent in English while living in a country that does not speak English, uh, that where English is not widely spoken? And, uh, you know, I tried several things like, you know, classical, like, okay, find a teacher that, can, that we could go to. Um, uh, but that was kind of difficult to find. And actually, we did find one teacher. We ended up finding a teacher and kind of my, my son, my older son started attending. And that was kind of fun, uh, but it didn't last long. So mm. basically, I think like six months later, they said, oh, you know, I'm moving, so I can't do this anymore. And there you go. You're back to square one. Right. right? So I kind of got frustrated with that. And uh, I also started thinking about, you know, how can I use technology to actually make solve this problem, to make it uh, more accessible for kids specifically mm-hmm. to to practice foreign languages like Mm -hmm. uh, when they uh, and uh, yeah this is really how kind of the thinking started and then it cultivated in uh, in, uh, I think I was visiting China and Shanghai and I saw some of the traction that uh, the uh, language learning services were getting Mm -hmm. in China particularly there was a company called VIP Kid Um, they were really big you know, they were really scaling, they're becoming really big, raising lots of money. And that really gave me a confidence saying, you know, wh- why doesn't something like this exist in Europe? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's that's really, so basically after that, I think um, uh, pretty much, I think I went to Shanghai maybe like in March mm-hmm. 2017. And sometime basically in June, we basically just made the decision, okay, we're doing it. Wow. Was um, that VIP kid program that you saw in Shanghai, was that a remote uh, environment also in terms of how the kids were learning or was it in person? Yeah, it was also completely online, fully online. Okay, interesting. That's why, yeah, that's why it piqued my interest because, you know, obviously offline is, there's nothing new, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of solutions for that, but something that was fully online and and for kids, because at the time, there was many uh, options for adults. Yeah. So as an adult, you could go, you could find a lot of services, but for kids, there was nothing. And conventional wisdom would say that it doesn't work for kids. Right. <laughs> so basically, people believed back then that kids would not be, would not have enough focus, they would not have enough, um, uh, let's say, interest to stay mm. in front of the screen. Uh, they would not perceive the person on the screen as a living person and so on and so forth. There was a lot of like really weird beliefs uh, mm-hmm. at the time, which, you know, basically most of them turned out to be completely false. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your demographic of, of kids that you work with is four to 12 years old, right? Yes. At the moment, mostly that uh, okay. we were pushing a little bit into older age groups now as well. So we're probably going to be extending it to, probably to 16-ish or so. Okay. Uh, but for the moment, it's up to, up to 14. So it's like K-6, okay. you could call it. K-6. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's teaching English solely, right? Learning yeah. English. We're fo- t- focusing on English at the moment, uh, English as a second language. So basically mm-hmm. for students with, uh, who don't speak it as a native language, we teach mm-hmm. it as a second language. Mm-hmm. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how the platform really engages kids? Because being a mother to um, to two teenagers now, 
I know how difficult it is to keep keep kids' attention, especially when it comes to learning. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that this is definitely a secret sauce uh, mm-hmm. that really made NoVaKid successful. Um, and one of the, I would say there's two things that we did differently from others. Uh, one thing we did differently is we went with complete immersion method, which basically means that uh, no English, other no no language other than English is spoken mm-hmm. during the during the class, uh, and it was kind of controversial, right? Because many would you know reasonably say, "How would kid understand anything what's ha- that's happening?" Right? If right. they don't speak English, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know it's intuitively that seems to make sense, but uh, you know in reality. Uh, if this was the case, we would never acquire our first language to begin with, right? Uh, okay. When we're born into this world, right, we, we don't really have know any language, and yet we learn our mother tongue somehow. And um, so this was first thing. And the second thing, we really heavily used um, uh, learning games as part of the mm-hmm. curriculum. So basically, all each class has at least, I would say, three to four learning games built into the class. And the teacher is playing together with the student. So it's not like a solitary experience. Mm. Uh, this is not, uh, so students are playing together with the teacher and uh, we get this kind of dynamic going during the class. Yeah. And this is really what, you know, gets attention, get kids' attention. So essentially it's a combination of games, really get mm-hmm. attention and full immersion method that really drives the, um, drives the learning, right? Because you, you, you got to learn. If you mm. want to survive in this environment, you got to learn. Yeah, so true. So true. How long is the class or are the classes for the kids typically? So for younger ones, it's 25 minutes, just enough to, yeah. you know, before they start getting distracted. For mm-hmm. older ones, uh, we go up to 45. Mm-hmm. As you look at expanding your age demographic, are you in the process of creating new games or, you know, like, will you, I'm sure you'll continue with the immersive side of it. Um, but I would think that the games are going to need to change a little bit. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically now we are developing group experiences, so it's mm-hmm. not one-on-one anymore. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, a teacher as a, a facilitator sure, uh, and uh, six to eight kids. And uh, basically, the for older kids especially, we've developed collaborative games. So yeah. basically, some something that they play together as a group uh, during the class and actually outside of class as well. So that's um, yeah, basically, you could call it multiplayer, uh, collaborative multiplayer. That's that's okay. really the direction we're heading to, and kids love it. Oh, that's amazing! It's like you're making um, video games for learning in a sense, right? Learning English. Uh, it's a video games, but your uh, playmates are very, very personal. So basically, sure. you see their video feeds, you see, you talk, you speak to them. So in this sense, we really focus on building uh, deep and meaningful connections between students. Oh, that's great. So, so, so they would not be just some kind of random players for each other. Uh, like it happens sometimes, like in Roblox, for example. Right. You know, kids. So technically speaking, Roblox is multiplayer. Right. But in reality, most of those other kids are just kind of random strangers. Uh-huh. So, okay. So, um, so it, it, we believe that, you know, if you really want to master the language. Yes. I mean, the, the whole purpose of having language, like why do we even have a language as a, as a species, right? Yes. Uh, we have it to make deep, meaningful connection, yes. connections with each other. 
right? Yeah, totally. And that's that's why we that's why we we kind of mimic this. That's why we encourage this in our product as well. Mm. How did you grow your company? Actually, let me back up. How many how many students do you have on the platform now? So it varies between the seasons, but sometimes like sixty to seventy thousand students at the wow. moment. Wow, from all around the world. Yeah. Okay. And how did you grow so quickly from 2017 to 2023? Actually, I'm assuming COVID actually really helped you, right? It was kind of a great time for you to be in the business that you're in. Totally. Yeah. It was a big tailwind for us. Yeah. Yeah. So from 2017 to 2020, um, had you, because I know you've taken in some, some, excellent investments as well had you sought venture capital right from the get-go or was this self-funded at the beginning uh we uh funded with virtual uh venture pretty much early on from from the seed stage okay so you know i i was blessed with some connections with uh uh seed uh with uh seed fund managers and they kind of really uh believed in us uh, early on uh and uh, that's that's kind of how we got our first funding. It was really based on personal connections. Okay. And were um, uh, making the assumption that some of those connections were through Google potentially or no? Uh, no, not really. Uh, actually, so after Google, I had a brief stint at LG Electronics in uh, okay. South Korea. And actually, this is where I met our future investor. So our hmm. first investor actually come, came from South Korea. Excellent. You know, li- life takes unexpected turns. Sometimes. Yeah, it does. It does. But they, we gain so much from those turns, right? Who, who knows how they fit into the big picture, but. Totally, totally. You know, they, they ask me very often, you know, would you like to change something in your past? And I always say no, you know, because you just never know how this is going to affect, you know, you think that's for the better, but, you know, you will lose whatever prices you actually did get in your life. So, right. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel the things that are a little difficult or challenging and end up redirecting our path are really God's way of putting us on the right path, you know, even when it doesn't feel like it at that time. So, yeah. So, okay. Early days, did you create a traditional business plan? I I know you have a co-founder, like, can you share um, what those days were like? I don't think we had a business plan. Okay. Um, basically, what we did is uh, we put together some of the resources we had uh, between ourselves. So basically, we had a, kind of a small team of developers that we were working with, and we essentially focused on building a kind of the early prototype for the product. So instead of business plan, we started building a product. Yeah, perfect. Um, and I mean, maybe it's, it's a little stupid, but I mean, this is just who I am. I'm not really, I, I, I would not consider myself a business guy. I'm more of a product guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's what, and actually believe it or not, that's not an interesting twist of the story is that this first teacher that actually uh, uh, left, uh, the, the, my son's teacher, she, yes. turned, she basically, I recruited her to be our first uh, head of studies. So oh, I, that's amazing. Out, <laughs> yeah, it tur- turned out that she actually left to work for VIP Kid. Oh, uh, interesting. Yes. yes, yes, yes. So basically, I you know I convinced her that okay, you should ditch that and you should come over. Let's try to build something uh, something new. 
Yeah. And, you know, because she did have experience with yes. the ITK, so she, so she, she did have some, uh, at least some knowledge of uh, how it, uh, you know, how it's possible to build it. It definitely uh, helped us a little bit to kind of at least or orient ourselves towards um, a, a certain way. So th this was, yeah, definitely very fortuitous. Um, and uh, yeah, so we built the product very quickly. Uh, we uh, started in June, as I said, and uh, basically by October, we already started testing it on real uh, customers, wow. on real students. <laughs> and uh, by November, we started making our first revenues. And I think I remember it was like, you know, $10,000 a month or something like this, but you know, it felt Good. pretty great. amazing. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. great from right from the beginning. How did you how did you attract those early students, those early customers? Just through your network? Uh no, no. I was uh well, of course, my network for sure. sure. Uh so I, I certainly uh invited my my colleagues, but my network is you know nowhere near big enough to actually I would say a lot of people in my network were quite skeptical. They was like, oh yeah, yeah. So cool, Max. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll try. Maybe we will, but never actually did. Uh, so we, I was actually just literally begging some influencers, mm. like uh, literally, you know, writing them and begging them to take some money from us, so that uh, they would, you know, just tell about us to their to their subscribers. And because we were not a known brand at the time, they sure. were basically, you know, uh, there was a lot of convincing to be done. Uh, but somehow I managed to do it and uh, kind of gradually, so starting from small influencers, getting, getting to getting a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, trust, building some trust. And then these influencers would refer us to other influencers and uh, this started to work. So definitely a lot of like very influencer focused uh, uh, promotion early on. Okay. Digital, influ digital influencers, mostly Instagram. Oh, Okay. And these were parents. They had children in your demographic. Yeah, yeah, mo yeah most, mostly we targeted influencers who would be our you know, customer demographics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, any names that we might know that you could share? Uh, no big names. As I said, okay. there was small, in small influencers uh, and yeah. we, would, you know, we would not get to big influencers for quite a long time. Okay. So, you know, as, as like a, maybe like the biggest influencers that we've worked with so far could be, um, uh, I think uh, there's this very famous uh, uh, soccer player, football player, uh, Lewandowski uh, uh -huh. in Poland. And okay. uh, we were, uh, and his wife was actually, uh, we were working with his wife as an influencer to promote Novakia. So okay. This is one example. Uh, we had some pretty big stars in um in Saudi Arabia, working uh, with us, to be honest with you, probably would not tell much to your audience. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, in in Turkey, we had some pretty big names too. So, so yeah. But this was way, way later. So initially, yeah. it was really like literally like with ten thousand followers, something like this. Some very, very small influencers. Okay. Huh. So has that been your primary growth strategy through influencers? Uh, early on, yes, it was okay. for sure. Uh, yeah. Later, we we started uh, using more kind of conventional targeting, okay. uh, like perform performance advertising targeting, yeah. Uh, as well as well as of course, uh, you know, re re uh, referrals uh, and uh, SEO. So all kind of so basically, it it became more kind of complete package. You could sure. Say. Yeah. Totally get that. 
So I have in my notes here, you've uh, raised 41 and a half million as a series B. Is that yeah. okay? Um, will you continue raising money or are you at the point of profitability where the company can now sustain itself? Well, that's, you know, when you're VC funded, that's not how you measure things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, VC do not give you money to, so you can sustain yourself. Right. <laughs> they give you money so you grow and you go to IPO and they make their 10x return. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say that we're definitely, um, you know, uh, quite far away from reaching that target. Okay. Uh, so we're still, you know, we, you know, we're definitely valued. We're fortunate to be valued very highly by our investors, but, you know, we have some room to grow, but definitely I would say our kind of ambition is uh, at least to become a unicorn, which is, you know, $1 billion valuation company. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's really what we're uh, driving towards. Would we need to raise more money to get there? Uh, my gut feeling is probably yes. Right. But at the same time, I can tell you that we are actually profitable. Oh, and, great. Uh, yeah. So basically it's a question of, you know, investing in your growth rather than being operationally totally profitable. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes at Nova Kid. How is the day-to-day -day run? I know um, your team is fully remote, which is amazing, especially with the growth you've experienced. So can you tell us some of the um, the challenges you've encountered and how you've overcome them, but also some of the the pros, you know, the pros of of working with a fully remote team. I mean, I think one that comes to mind is you can have employees from anywhere in the world, so you can really recruit the top talent, right, um, to help continue to build your company. Totally, and that's that's. Uh, I would say this is definitely one of the biggest mm -hmm. uh, advantages for any business. Uh, that you know, so basically, if your business allows you to have remote workers, you should definitely do that. Mm -hmm. Of course, there, there are some businesses where it's just not possible, right? Where sure. you just physically have to do right. stuff that in this case might be, uh, might be, uh, might not be appropriate, but you know, if you can definitely do it. And, uh, we see there's, you know, first of all, we see that our, uh, Novocators really, uh, value a lot. So this actually helps us with uh, recruiting as well. They value a lot the flexibility. Mm -hmm. They value a lot the, um, uh, ability to work at the hours that work for them mm -hmm. rather than you know, dictated by somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, they value being judged by results rather mm -hmm. than by effort. Um, and um, of course, being able to leave where they want to live. That, that's yeah. also another big part of it. So um, I would say this is a big value uh, both for the company and for them. Communication, I, I would say, I would argue turns to be happens more efficiently and more mm -hmm. i would call it more intentional mm -hmm. right yeah uh, i i'm not a very big big believer in this kind of in like making breakthrough ideas over a water cooler i just yeah. think it's 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 just a fantasy that's not how com you know good companies should work right i mean you, you should build your uh kind of in innovation you should build your communication uh consciously yeah. Not 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 hoping that randomly people will pop into each other and right. some some spark will will happen. Right. I, I really think that there's you really have to put thought into this. Uh and it feels like oftentimes people just don't want to do it and just say, okay, let's just go oh go to office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they, 
things will magically start to happen. So uh, fundamentally, remote work is can be more efficient because you know, let's face it, if you have to you know lift your butt and walk over mm-hmm. I don't know one floor of stairs to talk to somebody, that's a whole lot less efficient than just uh, you know typing the message in Slack. Right. So it's it's all a question of design, uh, of course. So we're definitely reaping benefits of that. Uh, more effective, design, more efficient uh, communication, a lot of flexibility, uh, better life, uh, work-life balance. Um, but of course, there is you do have to manage some of the, I would say, uh, like a physical connectedness. Yeah. So people do do want to connect physically to each other. Um, but um, you know, basically, what we do is we get together regularly. Mm-hmm. That's Pretty, pretty simple to manage, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and we are a pretty large company. So we have about, you know, 300 plus uh, Novocators. And in addition to that, we have almost 3000 teachers who work for, with us. Mm. Uh, so for Novocators, we definitely make sure that they, uh, that, you know, we meet together at least once a year or we try to do maybe twice the whole, a year. The whole company? Not, not the whole. So we actually did whole company and we just realized that it's not super efficient. So now yeah. we're doing it like on a team by team basis. Okay. So the teams actually get to decide where they want to meet. So that's the cool thing, right? Totally. Um, so, uh, and when they want to meet, so it's completely up to them. So we, I, I don't tell them, you know, okay, you have to go to, I don't know, um, like Rome and meet right. there at, in September 1st because I said so. Right. No, they they decide they decide by themselves because they look where everyone is located. Mm-hmm. What would be the most uh, kind of effective way to get everybody uh, together? And I think another notable thing is when they get together. You know, one of the things that we really arrived at is we don't do any work. Mm-hmm. So we just we just get together to have fun mm-hmm. because, as I said, you can actually do work a lot more efficiently yeah. online. Yeah. So when you get together mm-hmm. offline. Basically, why waste time, right? Just uh, have fun. So, <laughs> and build the relationships. Exactly. Yeah, build the relationships. So uh, they go to uh, you know go on hikes, uh, boat trips, uh, what what have you. Uh, so that's you know rave parties. You know was mm-hmm. one of the recent recent uh, meetups when we went to a rave party. Why not? <laughs> that's totally. uh, yeah. That, that's definitely uh, pretty cool. So uh, I, I I would say so far it's been a really exhilarating experience for me to kind of b- can build this culture and, and yeah. really uh, reap the benefits. But no, I, I, I cannot really claim that it's, uh, it's, it's done. It's definitely work in progress, yes. but I'm very optimistic that this is definitely here to stay. Yeah, that's great. Um, any challenges? And if so, you know, how did you overcome them to to improve whatever the challenge was? Um, like related to remote work, just as mm-hmm. I mentioned, there's definitely mm-hmm. hunger for, you know, physical, physical presence. Right. This is something we're addressing by just people meeting with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, I don't think so. I think mm. uh, it's, you know, pretty much as, you know, usual challenges for any company. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you have people who perform better, you have people who perform uh, worse. Uh, mm-hmm. So you try to get people with the right uh, culture fit. Uh, and that's really no mm-hmm. different from any company that does its business offline. Right. 
How are you, um, say, just improving your own skills and and um, growing in your role, given that you have been, well, now that you're running a company, right? You're not just the technical person or the product manager anymore. Um, you're wearing many, many hats. Um, so what are you doing to to help um, your own self to grow into this role that you're doing? Well, I, I would say I'm basically in position where I just got to have got to do it. Yeah. You know, there is just no other option. Um, so that helps a lot. Basically, I cannot just say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do like I'm not going to be your CEO. I'm just going to do a product, be a product manager. Right. Uh, this just does not work. Uh, so people expect uh, leadership from me. They expect yes. me to uh, help them to be successful. They expect me to help company to be successful. And, um, you know, I guess it's just uh, over time you, you know, try to um, kind of as, as the company grows, as you get bigger team, uh, I think the key for me has been to essentially delegate and free up some time mm. for reflecting mm -hmm. really like wh where can I bring the most value to this mm -hmm. company uh, and uh, using that time to really, you know, kind of define my own role um, sure. from year to year. And definitely it has been changing a lot. So yeah. for example, last year, I would say it was a lot of crisis management because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a lot of uh, kind of new, I mean, it's been a difficult year for many, many businesses yes. uh, around the world, globally, and Novocade is no exception to that. Sure. So there was a lot of crisis management. But for this year, I would say it's, uh, the big focus is on culture building. Because mm, with the team, uh, you know, yeah, guess what? Without excellent, healthy culture, you cannot really build a successful company. I totally mean, agree. Companies, companies consist of people. And yeah. if people are miserable, then... You know, guess what? Your company will also be miserable and right. probably not successful. Yeah, so true. Which country is um, Novakid most known in? Where most of your your students based? Um, I don't think we have like one country that is dominating. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe top three today would be uh, Poland, uh, Turkey, and probably Israel. And why do you think those? those countries are the top ones what do you do they not have competing products is it are you marketing more heavily there uh it's difficult to say uh i think maybe there is a better product market fit mm -hmm. uh for those markets because that's also important yeah um so yeah our approach usually is uh kind of you know if if the market is demanding if there is a demand we we start uh adding you know more budgets to the marketing and so on sure. and so forth. So we're not holding back. Yeah, that's for sure. Right. So I, I would say most likely it's a product market fit is just better for those markets. Yeah. Perfect. Last question, Max. Um, where do you see aside from um, expanding your market to the teen market? Um, how else do you see yourself growing Nova kid? Well, I, I think that we're actually a long way to grow in terms of our current product category, mm -hmm. um, there, if you, you know, if you think about it, there is a lot more kids. So uh, a yeah. hundred thousand kids is definitely not all the kids who learn English yes. in this world. 
so if we, if we look at the kind of the total market for this uh, for this product, it's you know at least probably tens of millions of kids. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we have orders of magnitude uh, to grow even mm-hmm. within this current segment. So for the moment, I, I think mostly we're, we're going to be uh, developing better products that are uh, more accessible, uh, less expensive, mm-hmm. uh, more uh, interesting mm-hmm. uh, for for kids and try to get our student count to at least 1 million. This yeah. is my... This is my kind of next next leg of growth, so yeah. to speak, for the company. This is what will actually get us to this unicorn status. After that, we will see. You know, right. after, because you know, it, I think it's really dangerous for uh, a business to start broadening your product portfolio mm-hmm. too early. Yeah, right. Because that that really uh, deprives you of focus. Yes, it really for, forces you to kind of look into too many directions at the same time, and. Uh, you know, you should really carefully pick the timing when you start doing that. Right. If you're really con- convinced that your core product is basically done, that there's really nothing you can do to grow it more, then yes, it's t- it's the time. But if mm-hmm. you think there is a there is a room for growth within your core product, within the uh, um, within the market that you're in, then you should definitely continue focusing on that. Yeah. Please, this is my this is my feeling. Absolutely. Um, I thought of one more question. What are your price points? For use, is it a subscription model? Yes, it's a subscription model. For the moment, it, it's uh, somewhere around hundred dollars a month. Okay. So it's a relatively pricey product. I yeah, mean, totally. Uh, for some of the markets where we are, yeah, uh, we're present, uh, and uh, we're definitely going to be working on, you know, addressing less uh, lower price points. So now okay. we're working on a product that would be closer to fifty dollars a month. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. Excellent. Well, I wish you the best of luck, Max. What's the best way for people to learn about you, learn about NovaKid? Sure. Uh, you could go to our website. It's uh, novakidschool.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, my email is max at novakidschool.com. Awesome. Or you can just Google us, just type NovaKid in Google, and uh, we should be the first result. With all that SEO, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Better work. Exactly. We better be. Yeah, we better be. If we're not, please email. Let me know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that was a... Well, you having worked at Google, um, that must have been very helpful in in your SEO work too. But also the fact that, you know, global, your marketplace is global. So... Oh, yeah. That was a big big influence for sure. So when, when we started the company... Uh, just from the very early on, I really insisted that we got to be global. So yeah. we have to build for multiple markets Yeah, because it's so easy to get kind of too deep into like one market. Yeah. Uh, and then later on, this kind of the shift to this global approach becomes just harder and harder and harder as you grow. Awesome. Well, we'll keep an eye on your growth. We wish you all the best and uh, really great having you on the show this morning. Okay, thank you very much, Rachel. That was an interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.